Welcome to this week's edition of Everything Fast Pitch by Fast Pitch Prep. Coach Don and I are here in the Cherokee Batting Range Podcast Studio getting ready to record episode number 308. Got a really good show lined up for you this week. In our warm-up segment, we've got our Did You Know, City of the Week, Player of the Week, Equipment Tip of the Week, Listener Question, and of course, Paige's Power Play. In our lead-off segment, we're going to do an interview with Greg Dees from EAS, and he's going to talk about some of the services that they provide. In our cleanup topic, we're going to talk about a blog that I just uh, wrote and posted about do we have a problem? We're going to get into a discussion, and it's always funny to me because whenever I write something that's a little bit controversial, reading the comments and the responses that people have is something I think adds a little bit and, and kind of gives us another perspective to throw into the discussion. And then in our Action Coach Coaching Tip of the Week, Coach John's got some pointers he's going to share with us relative to the world of business and the world of fast-pitch softball. So before we get into all that stuff, let's talk about our sponsors. First, the Anderson Bat Company. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to have Anderson Bat Company as our presenting sponsor. Anderson Bat Company is using the latest and greatest bat technology to corner the market in the fast-pitch world. They have the minus 9 rocket tech, the minus 10 carbon, and the minus 11 carbon light. Anderson Bat Company is using this technology to put a high-performing bat in the hands of hitters that really know the difference between a good bat and a great bat. We're also working with Anderson to provide a discount for all of our listeners. Go to the Anderson Bat Company website and order your bats. Use the EFP20 discount, which is for everything fast pitch, and you'll get a 20% discount. And again, make sure you take advantage of that EFP20 discount. It's a great way for you to save that additional 20% on an already very affordable super bat glove or any other Anderson product, but it also helps to support the podcast at the same time. Also, if you want to really support the podcast directly, we would love for you to become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. There's three different levels of support. It's five, 10 or $20 a month. And we certainly do appreciate the patrons that we have, the group of people that have been supporting us for a long time have kept this podcast alive. We would certainly love more people to come on board. So if you see value in what we're doing and you want to help to support it, please take a look at becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash everything fast pitch. So our warm-up segment is sponsored by Bittinger and Styles DDS. They're located in Webster, Mass. Again, longtime supporters of this podcast. If you have any dental needs and you're in the Webster, Mass area, please reach out to the folks at Bittinger and Styles and also let a, throw a quick mention in there that uh, the reason you're Visiting with them is because you heard about them on the podcast. So, Don, did you know the D1 rankings are out again this week? And we've had a couple of weeks of softball being played now. Right, so some right. things have started to sort themselves out just a little bit. And there's some things that never seem to change and some things that have changed quite a bit. So I just wanted to talk about a couple of things that kind of tie into some of the discussions we've had already. Well, clearly, number one is still... Oklahoma right. have remained undefeated so far early into the season, uh, have played a, a few games against some really highly thought of teams and some other games that they probably expected to win. I know I heard an interview with Coach Gasso and she was talking about how they're playing good enough to win, but they haven't really hit their stride yet. Nice. Um, which I guess is good news Means for everybody got, else. We got more to come. Yeah. yeah. A couple of things that uh, really have caught my eye. Number one is Texas is now number two. And Texas was one of those teams that we talked about being really young, really talented, potentially being a threat. And obviously with them being in the Big 12 with Oklahoma for one more year and being that high in the rankings early in the year, they've made a really big impression. Georgia's done a great job. They were undefeated up until yesterday. Uh, they took their first loss. I think they're 9-1 and one or 10-1, and one, something like that early in the year and have risen very nicely. And then Washington's another one of those schools. They're in the fourth spot that 
kind of didn't know for sure what to expect. You know, they've got a lot of changes, but obviously it's a really strong program. But, you know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Alabama is working their way back up into the rankings. They're up to number 10. Oklahoma State, which was another team that a lot of people thought might be down this year, that they lost some key players. They're up to number eight and have looked really good in some spots and played a super tough schedule. But UCLA is still hanging in. Uh, They're still in uh, number 18 in the uh, rankings. And Arizona's made a reappearance. They are up to number 23. They're off to a really good start. So I think a lot of this stuff's going to sort itself out. Um, We've got the usual array of teams across the big conferences. In most of the rankings right now, we're not seeing very many of the quote-unquote non-Power 5 schools. Boston University is doing really well. They've been in a couple of the polls um, and a couple other schools that have you know, kind of been in those others receiving votes kinds of categories. But um, the top 25, the more things change, the more they stay the same. And one of those things that uh, is kind of crazy about the rankings is obviously they don't mean that much, but it is kind of a fun thing to get to talk about and to share it with uh, you as listeners as we as we progress through the year, just because I think it gives us a, a feel for how things are going and how, how things are progressing in the in the world of Division One softball. Tori, I'm super excited for this season because, you know, as you start saying some of these schools, when you say UCLA, I'm, I'm thinking in my head, oh, for sure they're a top 10. And when they're not, um, and you start saying other schools, I'm like, oh, well, surely they're a top 10 and they're not. There's just going to be so much exciting softball because there's tons and tons of really, really good and historically really good teams. So. Right. It's going to be it's going to be awesome. And, and the thing that you know, for those of us that have been around the game for a long time, the rankings are always going to have a little bit of a lean towards the bigger, more famous schools, just because. Yeah, I don't care who you are as a voter. If you're kind of on the fence between, well, this team that's kind of of an unknown, kind of good, they're having a great year, but they don't have the same history, or Arizona. Sure. I think a lot of people are going to lean towards more uh, Arizona, those kinds of schools that have that really long tradition. Uh, but it, it is a fun thing, and I think your point about how it keeps our interest level up and helps us kind of pay attention to what's going on is is a r- really good one. And uh, obviously, did you know the Division One rankings will be updated every week? We're not going to talk about it every week, but we as, might. As, as things develop <laughs> and as things yeah. uh, change and, and sort themselves out, we're, we're certainly uh, going to try to stay in touch with Share what's going a little, on. Yeah. yeah. All right, so Don, our city of the week this week is really two cities. It's the Twin Cities. Minneapolis, St. Paul, obviously the great state of Minnesota's uh, got tons and tons of sports. You know, this time of year, I don't know that uh, spring has really sprung yet in that part of the country. I hope they're getting revved up. Yeah. Uh, But the one thing we've talked about a bunch of times is there've been, you know, such a growth in facilities that are now capable of doing indoor winter tournaments that even though some of them are kind of modified versions. It might not be quite the, the same feel of being out on a full-size field in the in the summertime, that a lot of kids are still getting to play softball in the winter. And, and obviously Minnesota, Wisconsin, you know, North Dakota, South Dakota, that, that part of the country where winter is real winter. The fact that they've got some of these other options, I think is a good idea. Uh, but we wanted to say thanks to the folks in Minneapolis, St. Paul, you know, the Twin Cities, obviously you and I have one of those uh, great stories of our amazing trip to Canada, spent some time in Minnesota on that uh, on that trip. Our listeners that are, are new to the podcast, I'm not going to tell the whole story. We got beat up. Yeah, but we, we just yeah. had one of those recruiting trips from hell, Don and I and, and, and Coach Whitlock, and uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul was a part of that. But I have a lot of fond memories. When I was coaching in Wisconsin, I recruited several players from that area. Really good softball, a lot of great travel ball teams. 
in spite of what Mother Nature tries to deal them in the spring, a lot of really good high school softball too. So as always, we're optimistic and excited when we see the numbers growing because it tells us that people are spreading the word about the podcast. You know, we've talked about this a bunch of times in the past. We don't do any kind of advertising. We have a somewhat of a presence in social media. Really, when the numbers grow, it's because people are, are telling their friends to listen. And so if you can keep doing that for us, keep the numbers uh, going in the right direction, we would certainly appreciate that. And it means a lot to us to see the numbers jump in. And we want to say congratulations to the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. You are the City of the Week. Player of the Week this week, Don, comes to us from Pennsylvania. Uh, Coach Keith wanted to nominate one of his players, Kendall Virgili. Uh, Kendall is a, a first-year player on their team. She's really stepped up and made a, a really big impression. Um, she's one of those outfield players that really works hard, takes that as a, an opportunity to really be supportive and does all the little things that we're always talking about that are so important for players cool, yeah. um, that, that are playing in the outfield. Her coach just you know, really wants to talk about how her coachability, her attitude, her leadership, all those things that she's bringing to their team is making the team stronger, more always cohesive. rubs off in a good way. Right. Yeah. And leadership is one of those things. You know, we talk about it all the time. It's kind of that nebulous thing, you know, that there are some people that try to be, you know, really loud and vocal and try to lead in that manner. And then there's other players that just get out there, do the work and, and kind of set a good example. You know, to hear about a player like Kendall doing such a good job with a new team, you know, obviously making new friends, getting to know the coaches and the players and her teammates, uh, you know, on the fly. It's just one of those things that it's just a really cool thing. She's a multi-sport athlete doing a lot of different things and doing a lot of things well. And uh, obviously coach Keith is very, very happy to have Kendall on his team and uh, super excited about the, the future of, of what she's going to bring to smash softball in uh, Pennsylvania. So congratulations, Kendall. You're the fast pitch prep player of the week. So Don, equipment tip of the week. Let's talk about Mule Tech. So Mule Tech, Tori, is uh, a company that's not new, but kind of new to us here with the, with the podcast. And they've been really great to help set up that EFP10 discount. And what that's going to do is uh, all of our listeners or anybody that you share this with is going to get a 10% discount uh, site-wide for all of their equipment. Our history with them is that, uh, you know, everything that we've ever purchased from them has been super durable and, and just a great product. And they're always trying to stay up with current trends and things like that, making available, whether it's a new high-end wiffle ball or the mule tech balls that uh, are weighted. They've got tons of training tools, netting, rebounders is a really big product for them right now. They've got uh, like an 18-inch uh, rebounder, a three-foot rebounder, and then a large maybe six- or eight-foot rebounder that basically lets training uh, on an individual happen even when we don't have partners to be there with us. Um, you can create a really good workout with a lot of that stuff. So just very excited for them to be on board with us, Tori, and through them be giving away to our patrons products the next upcoming months. And I would totally urge everyone to be a part of that uh, patron program that we've got because that will make you eligible to receive some of these products that they're going to be giving us. Right. Well, and one of the things with uh, Mule Tech, the variety of products that they offer is really impressive. And one of the things we want to ask all of you to do is make sure that you share that EFP10 discount with your local rec leagues, your organizations, the coaches of your teams. They have a lot of stuff that I think an individual player would love to have in her training equipment for the house you know, a training facility similar to what you and I are doing. But I think a lot of the stuff that they offer would be 
really you know important savings and a big benefit for you know the teams that need protective gear that need catch nets that need you know a lot of different training tools that are maybe a little bit bigger in protective scope. screens yeah. for bp right yeah, yeah. And, you know, most most kids don't need a 10 by 10 rolling screen to use at the house for their training but a lot of teams wish they had that to set up at practice to make sure that the first baseman or the Whoever it is that's shagging balls or whatever it is has some protection and doesn't get hurt. And you can also use them for other things too. But you know, make sure you share that EFP10 discount. It's available for anything you order from Mule Tech. And again, it's a great way for you to help support the podcast also, but obviously to save a, you know, a chunk of money. The one thing about some of that equipment is we're talking about a couple hundred dollar piece of equipment. Well, 10% off a couple hundred dollar purchase is, a, is certainly worth your time. Absolutely. We really are excited about Mule Tech coming on board, and make sure you take advantage of that EFP10 discount on anything that you order. So that's going to take us to this week's EAS Listener Question of the Week. EAS is Empowered Analytical Sports Recruiting, and to contact the Coach Greg, contact him at 770-500-4972, and there will be more information about EAS for you a little bit later on in this podcast. So our listener question, Don, comes to us from Dan. And Dan's question was about a dropped third strike and batter runner trying to beat out the play to first base. What are the obligations for the catcher to avoid the base runner? What are the base runner's obligations to not get in the way of the throw? And this one is, you know, anytime we're talking about that running lane and the the batter runner running to first base, when the ball's around home plate, whether it's a dropped third strike or it's a bunt or it's a swinging bunt or whatever it is, that somebody's picking the ball up right around home plate or maybe even in foul territory behind home plate, that it can get really congested and really confusing. And a lot of times you'll see you know, base runners that are a little bit savvier, a little bit more experienced, purposely trying to even get in the way a little bit to try to make it as hard on the defense as they possibly can. So his question was kind of, I guess, you know, what are the obligations? What are people supposed to do? And, and I guess, what can you get away with if you're trying to be safe at first base? Well, I think that's kind of one of those exciting times when, you know, anything could happen, right? If we are hustling and working hard and putting pressure on the defense to perform, could potentially be a game changer, right? For me, I want to stay within the guidelines, but still not try and make it easy on the defense, right? right. So we want to be pushing that boundary a little bit. and But again, it's going to be up to the umpire to decide whether you're pushing those boundaries further than than you should. Right. Well, and, and I think you know the trying to determine a player's intent in something like that is always one of those challenging things. Is she trying to get in the way? Well, Flag, how do you know for flagging sure? an arm out? Or, right. You know, if you're if you're running down the base path, you know, f- you know, swinging your arms up and down like you're a bird trying to take off, trying to make <laughs> as big of a scene and as much of an obstruction as you possibly can. You know, then obviously that's one thing, but you know, there's a lot of things that a base runner can do to you know kind of see where the first baseman or the second baseman whoever's taking the throw you know kind of how they're setting up and and you know try to be as cumbersome as you can be you know and again you know the umpire's obligation is to try to protect the defense um, to make sure that they have a chance to make the play and again when it's a dropped third strike it gets even more complicated because almost all those throws are coming from fall territory you know when it's a chopped ball or a bunted ball and it's right out in front of home plate you know the obligation you know then is on the base runner to be running in foul territory as they get closer and closer to first base but when the throw is coming from foul territory if the base runner runs in the exact same lane she's going to be doing a better job of getting in the way by quote unquote running in the running lane 
than she would if she moved to the inside and, and, and tried to you know, get out of the way a little bit. So and I guess how do you handle it is, is one of those things. You know, we hope that the umpires are paying attention and, and, and aware of what's going on and are, are doing the best they can to protect the defense. But if I'm a base runner, I am going to do everything I can to try to get safe. I'm going to do everything would, I can. Would it be safe to say, Tori, that, you know, and again, some kids are deeper in the box, some kids are up in the box for us to be basically running a straight line. Yeah. You know, if you're running a straight line, the umpire is not going to be too tough on us. Right. But if we're, you know, making some kind of a rounding motion to to be in the way. Right. If you're, if you're that... zigzagging back and forth, I think that's probably going to get you a call. Right. But, but so from a, from an offensive perspective, I would tell my base runners to try to anticipate and read what they can see from how the defense is setting up. And as subtly as you can, try to get in the path if you can a little bit, try to get in the way a little bit. You can um, see if second base is right. you know, going to be far and foul or staying in fair side. And, and if you're on the defensive side, I think we need to communicate well about where that throw is coming from, you know, whether we're the person receiving the throw is going to be inside the bag or outside the bag. You know, if the first baseman goes back to take the throw on a dropped third strike and she's working in the outside part of the bag in foul territory or footwork's on the, on the foul side of the, of the base, that should give that catcher making the throw a little bit better angle to, to hopefully make that play. But that's something that we have to communicate. If the first baseman is standing on the infield side and the base runner's running a straight line down the baseline and the catcher's throwing the ball from foul territory, we're going to have a crossfire situation where the chances of that throw being made successfully are going to be greatly impacted. So defensively, be a big open target. Right. Make sure you're on that side. Yeah, and and again, uh, if the base runner does something you know, really egregious to get in the way. I think that that's going to lead to a spark, call. Spark a call, yeah. But I think an awful lot of these plays are so bang, bang, and the play, and the you know players are all just doing the best they can to do their job the best they can without really any ill intent. You know, they're not necessarily trying to make it. It's not a lot of time to right. have forethought there. Yeah, yeah, you know, in that couple of seconds, I'm not so sure that everybody's thought out the, the whole strategy of how can I be the most colossal pain I possibly can be on this play. So, but Dan, we do appreciate Good the question. question. Yeah. And uh, certainly any of our listeners that have questions, comments, player of the week nominations, we want you to reach out to us with those at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. We want to make sure that we keep the player of the week nominations coming in and also the questions and the topic ideas. Because one of the things that Coach Don and I really love is to be able to talk about stuff that you're interested in. Well, and I was going to say, and Tori, too, questions like this are things that don't happen all the time but could have a huge impact in the game. So what a great thing to talk to our group about, right? Right. Yeah, so this is good. Because that's, that's one of our goals is to try to share as much information as we can. You know, we're not always right about everything, but if nothing else, it creates some conversation and gets everybody thinking about... Inspires um, the others to be talking and chatting about it. Right, and, yeah. and hopefully it leads to better softball. So Don, that's going to take us to this week's edition of Paige's Power Play. Hey, it's Paige here. I hope you're having an amazing day. Um, today, I wanted to share a little bit about this break that I took from social media for a little over two weeks around the holidays. Like, I completely deleted the apps from my phone, which I have never done. Um, I've tried to take breaks with them on my phone, and that really hasn't worked out that great. <laughs> but here's what came from this break. Here's some insights that came from the break. It was much easier to stay off social media when the app wasn't on my phone anymore. I found myself going to my phone to fill space, and it's like my thumb just mindlessly would try to find the apps, even though they weren't there anymore. 
It was so crazy. I had to learn to fill that random space or when I wanted to procrastinate with just being still or present instead of feeling like I needed to go on the social media. I was so much more present wherever I was and who I was with. I felt way less comparison and more than okay with just me. I knew this, but confirmed that I don't need to know what everyone else is doing all of the time. I created new habits to stay away from the constant checking and scrolling, which to me makes me feel a little crazy. And I'm really, really grateful that I have those habits and they're still working even with the apps redownloaded. Anyway, I'm really glad I finally decided to just rip the band-aid off and delete the social media apps. Although they are back on my phone, like I said, I know they are really there to communicate with you guys and share the impact I'm trying to make with the athletes that want to be the absolute best versions of themselves. Taking breaks are necessary in all areas of our lives, even when it comes to social media, um, even when it comes to taking a break some pitching lessons or some hitting lessons, or I know that sounds crazy, (laughs) but I promise it's not. Our brains are so programmed to believe taking breaks are for quitters, slackers, losers, but I truly believe that breaks are needed to take a step back and get a different perspective, refresh, restore, and come back with more wisdom and strength. That doesn't mean you have to take half a year off. (laughs) It just means to take a little break, a small break. It could be a small break or it could be a little bit longer break, whatever you're feeling like you need. Anyway, this is for you. This is for your athletes. So just kind of get you guys thinking, where where do you feel like you guys could use a break that will help you come back even better? Or where could your daughter use a break that will help her come back even better? I hope this was insightful. If you need anything from me, you know you can always reach out. Um, And I hope you have a great rest of your week. And again, I say it every week, folks, Paige is a rock star. We do appreciate the bits of information she shares with us each week, but we really want you to check out her programs. It's pagetons.com, T-O-N-Z. So our leadoff segment, Don, is sponsored by Elite Sporting Goods. They're located at 905 Grayson Highway in Lawrenceville, Georgia. Phone number there is 678-377-0270. You can also contact them at elitesportsorders at yahoo.com. Anything you need, bats, balls, gloves, uniforms, spirit wear. They're happy to ship anywhere in the country and they'll take really good care of you. So our leadoff segment this week, we're going to have an interview with Greg Dees from EAS. We mentioned that EAS is now going to be sponsoring our listener question. And uh, Coach Greg's got a lot to say about the world of uh, recruiting and some things that they're doing with their company. We're very excited this morning to welcome Greg Dees of EAS to the podcast. And Greg and his company are going to be joining uh, the Everything Fast Pitch family and sponsoring a segment moving forward. We wanted to give you an introduction into what EAS does and and kind of the services they provide. And uh, Greg, we just want to say thank you very much for your time and uh, welcome aboard. Yeah, thanks guys so much for having me. Good deal. So why don't you give our listeners a quick little uh, thumbnail sketch of what EAS is and and what exactly y'all are doing. Yes, EAS started a little bit over two years ago. And basically our background was we were all previous Coaches are either baseball, softball, heavy background into you know coaching and also playing. And the key is the E stands for empowered. Empowered with the girls and our, our athletes is to take the process of recruiting, stand alongside them, and teach them how to email, text, 
do their social posts, how to do camps and showcase it along with their official visits. But along with that, not only are we teaching, we're also their advocate, reaching out to the college coaches. Uh, we have very deep, impeccable contacts. And, you know, to get to the point of finding the right fit, the perfect fit is what we call it. Well, one of the things that I've come to know over these years is that the recruiting process itself is something that uh, there's a lot of people who think they understand how it works but uh, not so many people that really do have enough experience with it to be truly helpful to the the players that need the help. And so it sounds like your background and and, uh, the experiences that you've had, it gives you a much deeper knowledge of what the players need in the process and and how to help guide them in the right direction. That's correct. And it's the big thing. It's kind of like I attribute it to raising kids. There's no book that tells you how to do it. Every situation is different, and we find that true in recruiting is every situation is different. Every talent level is different. The demands and the openings at the schools are different. We are just an advocate to put the pieces together, and we've been successful over the past two years with a, right now we're setting at 260 and 0 record with our placement. What's obviously an impressive number, and just to kind of give everybody a little bit of a, a feel for it, that's across all the levels of softball, correct? So not not just necessarily Division One, but helping kids find the right school for them, whatever the division might be. That's correct. All the way from D1 to JUCO. And there was a kid that I'll reflect. I just got a text from last night. Uh, she was a JUCO kid, very talented ball player. And... She is going to transfer to a D1 school, and we're just so excited for her. But that was a kind of a side comment about JUCO, why some folks do go that route. Right. Well, one of the things that I think is unfortunate is it seems like an awful lot of people think that recruiting stops at the big-time programs or the big Power Five teams we see on TV. But the reality of it is for players that play in college, no matter what the level they're still accomplishing something amazing. And I think to have someone to kind of help them keep that in perspective, that having a great career at a Division three school or an NAIA school still means you had a great career. And unfortunately, I think uh, some of the quote-unquote experts I referred to earlier don't necessarily always think of the other divisions as, as ultimately being a great fit for some of the players that they that they have contact with. And so I just think it's very important and very valuable that, that your group has the wherewithal to see the, the value of all the levels and then also be able to help a player maybe who starts in that junior college world to still have the access to, to you know, continue their career at a four-year school. That's correct. And, and Tori, one thing I'll add here, and I say this to just about every kid that I work with, The goal here is to get softball to pay for your four-year education so that you can have a 30-year career. That's what we're talking about here. Well, and to me, I think that's always been the the missing ingredient with most of the players that uh, are always looking for help is that they think that it's uh, just the softball and not the rest of their lives. And we have always talked about you spend four years playing softball to set yourself up for the next 40 years of your life. Sounds like EAS has definitely got a handle on that same kind of attitude. Thank you. 
Good deal. All right. So let's talk about a, a, a success story. I, I saw a video from Addison Waring, who's a player that you worked with, and her success story. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Addison? And obviously, we've got her permission to to talk about her on the podcast, but uh, a little bit about uh, her success story, maybe, and, uh, and uh, some of the things that came out of her recruitment. Yes. Number one, Addison is a fantastic kid. She is uh, from South Georgia. And kind of the background is for the past two years, she had went to a lot of camps. She was very active on social media. She did a lot of emails. She played for a national team, one of the big time national teams. She played at PGF Nationals. She played in Colorado. And she is a 2025. And around September, uh, we've got in contact and reached out and pretty much didn't have had a lot of leads going with programs at the D1 level, even mid-major and also Power 5 D1, but nothing solid, just no activity. Uh, Started working with her at the end of September, December, early December. We got her placed at Charleston Southern, which is a mid-major D1. She is just overjoyed about it. And all it was doing was getting her in front of coaches and, you know, just getting more of a direct spotlight, matching her with programs that were looking for her position. That was the the key area. Don't waste time with programs. If you are a catcher and the University of Kentucky is not looking for a catcher, You've got to move on. That was the big key with Addison. Also, I think one of the hidden gems in this is having some experience, being able to give a player that guidance. One of the things that I think is unfortunately a gigantic stumbling block for most families and most players is they have like a dream in their mind, you know, a dream school or a dream level, and they just can't move past the idea that uh, that that's not going to come true. And, you know, so you see somebody who's got their heart set on going to big school X, but big school X doesn't need their, their position or isn't looking for a player in their class. I've seen players over the years that just keep hanging on to that pipe dream, hoping that somehow it's going to happen. And unfortunately, one time it happens in a thousand, there's 999 other kids that end up in a really bad position because they're not able to read the landscape well enough to know that a a school really might not be the right fit for them. And so it clearly sounds like what you all are able to do is help players kind of see through the fog a little bit and maybe zero in on clearer and more realistic target. Yes, sir. And and the key is we hear it, uh, and I probably have a conversation every couple of days. Yes, everyone would like to be at LSU, but, you know, the reality is we will gladly pursue that avenue. But we want to expand the base, uh, expand the horizon, match the girl's talent, you know, to the level that she's looking to to be at. Right. Now, so let let me just uh, build on that. Do you run into situations where people just don't want to hear the truth? Yeah, absolutely. And it's fine. One big key, uh, let me restate this, is we do 
evaluations either via video or live workout before we will even take on a girl. If we don't think we can get the job done, I mean, we're undefeated here. We're just not going to take on a, someone that we don't think can get placed at the level that they're kind of shooting for. So a lot of times with this situation of the D1 is we just basically say we will pursue it, but are you open to look at D2, D3, NAIA, JUCO levels? And we just kind of keep working the process. If they say, yeah, it's probably a good idea to have more than one iron in the fire. And I think that that's a very valuable insight. I know. Uh... You know, I've had conversations here in the last couple of years with parents of players that I work with in lessons that have been absolutely appalled at the fact that their, you know, that their travel ball coach has tried to be honest with them about the levels and and the the places where where their daughter might actually fit, and just the idea of of having to be the voice of reason sometimes I think is hard for a lot of people to do. And I've always been able and respected anybody with some knowledge in the game that has the determination, I guess, to just be honest with a player and try to help them you know, make good choices and good decisions when it comes to recruiting. And so obviously it's, it's, it's good to hear that you all are on the right track with giving players good direction and, and obviously you know, not killing their dreams, but trying to make sure that uh, maybe their, their dream includes more than one absolute destination. Right. And one thing I'll add in there real quick is we have a service that we subscribe to at EAS, and it goes all over D1 and D2 right now. And specifically for infielders, it has what their overhand velocity is. And, you know, it's like, I'll give you this example for to play third base at D1, you need to be at a 65 overhand velocity, because that's where the D1 third baseman you're competing against are at. And so it's putting analytics not to be mean or burst anyone's dream, but to just simply say your overhand throw is a 55 right now, and D1s are at 65. You've either got to get up rapidly your, your arm, or we've got to look elsewhere. Well, and I think having that knowledge is a really important thing. And I, I think being able to put numbers to it, obviously, one of the things that's changed drastically here in the last decade or so is the ability to use analytics to be able to do the hard comparison of player A to player B and you know, maybe what a school is really looking for in overhand velocity, bat speed, exit velocity, you know, all those kinds of things. I think sometimes statistics are i think there's an old saying that goes something that you can you can beat up a statistic and get it to tell you anything you want but at the end of the day if somebody's looking for a, a kid that runs you know a certain speed and a player isn't that fast or they're looking for somebody that has a certain exit velocity and a player just isn't hitting the ball that hard having that knowledge can be a pretty useful tool i would think for helping players maybe uh, adjust their targeting a little bit Absolutely. And to kind of get where this is all driving out of, this became a big deal about five years ago in baseball. So all this analytics stuff that we use in softball came from our baseball side. 
and it is very analytical driven on baseball and it's migrating to softball. The technology now is so great, you know, with the different ways of testing and measuring and seeing all these different things that it has taken a lot of the old, my eyes will tell me the story out of it and tell you a little bit more about what the science will tell you. And I think that that's an important thing. And uh, slowly but surely, I'm, I'm sure softball will catch up and be using a lot more of the numbers-driven analysis to make sure that uh, you know that people are targeting the right schools and hopefully helping players invest their time and effort in places that they're going to have a chance to be successful. Let me uh, move on then, uh, Greg. What's the uh, best way for people who have interest in getting to know more about your company and more about what your services uh, are? Um, what's the easiest and best way for them to be in, to get in contact with you? Yes, my cell phone is usually best. Uh, also have email and we uh, have a presence on Twitter. My cell phone is 770-500-4972. Good deal. Do you all have a website and stuff like that that people can check out? Yeah, the website is easrecruiting.com. Perfect. Uh, anybody that has any questions in, uh, or any interest, they should just reach out to you directly and then uh, you'll take them through the process and, and get them started and, and give them some some things to think about. Yes, sir. Good deal. Sounds Perfect. Well, Greg, I do, certainly do appreciate your time and we're excited to have uh, EAS on board with uh, Everything Fast Pitch and we'll look forward to growing this relationship and then uh, helping people have access to your services and your information and, and hope keep that uh, success rate rolling. Well, that was uh, Greg Dees. From EAS, that's Empowered Analytical Sports Recruiting. Uh, make sure you reach out to him if you have any questions about their services, and we're super excited to have them coming on board with everything Fast Pitch. I hope you enjoyed that interview. Uh, again, uh, Greg mentioned uh, the best way to get in touch with him is by calling him at 770-500-4972. And we're going to wrap up this uh, segment with an uh, interview with Addison Waring, uh, that he mentioned that we talked about a little bit in uh, the interview. So here's uh, Addison's interview. Hi, my name is Addison Waring, and I'm a 2025 Charleston Southern softball commit. I feel very blessed to have that EAS recruiting with me along this journey. Thank you to Coach Greg for being with me and offering great advice. I hope you love my interview. Go Bucks. Let's start off with talking about your recruiting process. Give me kind of the, just kind of the overview of that, your experience with everything and just kind of that process for you. Uh, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me. You're welcome. I think everybody's recruiting process is different. Mm, yeah. And for me, it was definitely a lot of camps, a lot of emails. And I'm very thankful I had a personal coach that would help me through this. And also, too, it's finding the right school for you kind of thing. Mm, yeah. It's being able to know what schools need a catcher, for example, and have your major. And I'm very thankful that I was able to find Charleston Southern who is able to allow me to study my major and be able to catch. So Don, that's going to take us to this week's cleanup topic. Our cleanup topic is sponsored by Pinnacle Power Products. Everything Fast Pitch is very proud to be sponsored by Pinnacle Power Butter. It's a nutritious snack that every athlete should have in their bag of tricks. It will allow you to get a great snack, something that's healthy and nutritious, all natural, and goes a long way towards making a ball player a better one. And Tori, our listeners can get their... Pinnacle Power Butter at PinnaclePowerButter.com, and they can place their order there. Again, that's PinnaclePowerButter.com. If they use their promo code of EFP10, they can also get a 10% discount. And we're really excited that they're on board with us. Products are great. 
We've used them and tried them at home. The whole family loves it. Uh, please make sure you take advantage of that EFP10 discount. It's a great way for you to save that additional 10%. Helps to support the podcast at the same time. So, Don, I wrote a blog after watching some college softball. Right. And this is a topic that we've kind of talked about, danced around a little bit, whether it's the speed of the game, the pace of play, all those different things. But after watching a bunch of the games from the Clearwater Invitational, I couldn't help myself. I had to write this blog because I think we have a serious problem. And I don't know, you know, I don't want it to come across like I'm just saying that it's an umpire-only problem. I think the umpires are part of the situation. I think the TV ratings is part of the situation. I think that there's a lot of stuff that's contributing to it. But watching Georgia play Florida State in a game that's 20-10 to 10 and should have been more because Georgia hit another home run, but the girl at third base was called out for leaving early, so they could have had 23, I believe. But to see two high-level teams with great coaches, great pitchers, great pitching coaches, great traditions, giving up that kind of run production, and just to kind of all put it, put it all in perspective, if you have time, go to the fastpitchprep.com website. You can read the entire blog. The blog's pretty long because I was full of thoughts and full of ideas when I was writing it. But there were a couple of games in Clearwater where there were 30 runs scored. There was a bunch of games where 24, 25, 23 runs were scored. And I list them all there. And that's not even taking into account the the other games that we see early in the year where you have you know Texas beating San Diego 16 to 1 or you know, some of these other scores that are you know, kind of really lopsided where you kind of guess get it a little bit because you have one team that you know is a powerhouse playing a team that maybe isn't quite as strong but when you have really well-established traditional college world series top 10 should be competitive games yeah for those pitchers to be getting rocked the way they are in any circumstance is one of those things that i just think is problematic and so why is it a problem because you know everybody knows you and i love hitting we spend our entire lives just about working with kids on hitting trying to help them get better well the problem is that right now there's zero incentive in my book for somebody wanting to be a pitcher unless they're just like really into pain right one of the comments that i got back was well how do you explain the occasional no hitters and perfect games that we still see well we still will see those because For every game that the strike zone looks like a pie plate, there's going to be a game where the strike zone is legitimate. For every time that we have a game that's on TV where the umpire in his mind is thinking, well, you know, they really like offense for TV, there's going to be a game that's not on TV where the umpire is not maybe as motivated to spike the rating points and to see the the run totals go up and to see more offense in a game. As I mentioned in the blog, I've had at least eight different umpires tell me, well, nobody ever told me we're supposed to shrink the strike zone. Tighten it up. Nobody's ever told me we're supposed to tighten it up. You know, I'm just calling the strike zone the way I see it. Well, then we need to work on some stuff because what we're seeing, when we're seeing 30 runs scored in a game between two teams that both have legitimate pitching coach geniuses, players that are recruited coming into college that are thought of as the best pitchers in High the country, end. giving up 30 runs in a game, nobody can tell me that that's good for softball. Nobody can tell me that it's a good thing. And nobody can tell me that it's good for the long-term health of our pitching because we already know we've got a pitching shortage to begin with. So that's a pretty long rant to start the uh, discussion. <laughs> but uh, Don, what do you think? I'm always excited to see the offense stories, just like you said. We work on hitting, we talk about hitting, we love hitting. And uh, we're getting a lot of it. 
So that part of it's kind of neat. I do feel badly for the other side of things, like you're saying with the pitchers, if they're having to throw a little bit too much over the plate, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, that's especially with the training the kids are doing, the strength and conditioning, the size of the athletes, competitive nature of the equipment they're using, you know, with the bats and the liveliness of the ball, we're going to have a lot of scoring happening. And I am quite surprised that it's as high as it is. Like you said, there's multiple games, especially this time of year. Typically, in my mind, it takes a few weeks of good competitive ball for the hitters to really bark and catch up. But right. they seem to be extremely well prepared this year. Yeah, And that part of it, to me, is kind of exciting. And I think that's pretty special altogether because you know, usually early, I think that the pitchers had typically kind of dominated until the hitters got their timing and woke up a little bit. And it's one thing to prepare for it, but game time is special and different. Right. It always evolves back and forth. And, you know, whether we're going to have to start hitting some super softy balls again or, or lighten the specs for the bats or, you know, whatever that might be, maybe we stretch the field out a little bit. Right. Well, see, here, here's here's my take on it. You know, the, the points that you make are all very legitimate and all part of the equation about how this happens. And in the blog, I write about all the um, bigger, stronger, more time invested, you know, more science, more technology, all that stuff is very, very true. And validity of that cannot be argued. But here's my, I guess, flip side argument to it. The pitchers are bigger and stronger, too. They've been working hard they're, as well. They're, right. They're, they're watching video on hitters. They know where the holes are supposed to be. They know what pitch should work against a certain hitter. Nobody can tell me that the Florida State coaching staff went into that game thinking, hey, I have no idea how to pitch to these Georgia hitters. We're just going to throw it up there and hope they miss it. Right? right. They had a plan, and that plan was based on a lot of different, you know, information that they're gathering too. Previous so, video. Right. And, so yep, some of the yep. stuff that, that we're talking about is why hitters are getting so good is really true. But the pitchers have the same, a lot of the same advantages. Well, the hitters are, are bigger and stronger. Well, if the pitchers are bigger and stronger too, well, the hitters have more experience coming up through travel while they're playing at a higher level. Well, they're, they're playing against these same pitchers. And when you look at the you know PGF National Championship game, it's not twenty to ten. So you're saying what's different here, right? I will give credit. I listened to the In the Circle podcast the other day, and they talked about this, and they had a really good discussion. And one of the things that uh, you mentioned was the lively ball, and somebody did say that they thought that that there might have been some chicanery with the balls that were provided for the tournament, that maybe they were a little bit livelier. And of course, there's some of that kind of stuff that could happen that nobody would know. When we first started with the yellow ball, we used the 50 core, which was a lot harder than the ball we play with now, which is the 47 core. So did they take that 47 core and, and make a couple, you know, hundred balls that are 49 or 50 or 52? I mean, that's a possibility. And we, we know that that stuff goes on in the world of slow pitch all the time. So, you know, the idea that the ball might've been a little bit hotter, that's something that uh, the, the guys on In the Circle talked about. But they also talked about the strike zone topic that we're talking about now. And here's what I noticed on the broadcast. We have a couple of the broadcast teams have very prominent pitchers as their color commentators. And they tried really hard to, I guess, suggest that the strike zone is a problem without necessarily being as blunt as I can be about it. 
You know, I think that there's this nervousness from the media types, you know, from the broadcasters and the and the people that are covering the don't want games. to create a rift. Though. Yeah, they don't want to they don't want to stir the pot too much. But you hear Amanda Scarborough talking as as nicely as she can about how it seems like the strike zone's gotten a little bit tighter. It seems like you know the the pitcher has less to work with. And to me, I think we've got to start to understand that yes, we want to have offense. Everybody really wants is a five to four game with a lot of action. Yeah. Nobody wants 20 to 10. Nobody wants 21 to 9. Nobody wants 14 to 12. And there's no action with a home run. Right. I and mean, nobody's making a play. Nobody, you yeah. know, I mean. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm as impressed as anybody when I see somebody hit an absolute r- missile. But when I see somebody who's supposed to be one of the best pitchers in the country giving up missile after missile after missile because she's got a strike zone that's about as big as my hand. The hitters are better. I mean, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, but when the strike zone is smaller and, and the hitter is better, and we've, got, we've got what we've got going on in some of these games now. And Tori, a lot to your point, too, the pitchers are good enough that you can set up on the outside corner, throw a pitch. If they get that, they can move out an inch right. and, and hit the spot. They can do that. When they don't get the strike there, they have to move in an inch, yep. and they can do that, and they can do that consistently. So they're very much in control of what they're throwing and where they're throwing it. Right. So whatever zone is established as a strike zone, they've got to throw in that realm. So, right. And they're very good at their skills. Right. So. And, and that's why this thing was worthy of writing a 5 million word blog, because to me, we've got really good pitchers that are absolutely looking average. And I don't think it's because they're average. And you and I have had this discussion before. Well, you know, the, the old school thought was, well, as long as the umpire is consistent, then the pitcher should, should adjust to it. And you just mentioned, yeah, she is adjusting to it. But when she's adjusting to a much smaller zone, obviously the hitters have a lot of advantages. They're, and so they're not just throwing a bunch of mistakes. Right. Yeah. They're not the throwing, point. yeah, they're not throwing 55 mile an hour meatballs over the middle. They're still throwing real pitches they're still making the ball do stuff but they're making it do stuff in a much smaller area which is obviously easier to hit what's my moral to the story yes i think the umpires are really consistent i'm not saying that the umpires are bad at their job i think that they just are using too small of a strike zone in a lot of situations now it's not universal for every umpire that's got the pie plate strike zone there's another one that's calling more of the legitimate strike zone but i will tell you right now no one is calling the rule book strike zone I'll bet you my life, my kidney, my house, my dogs, every penny I have in the bank, I'll bet you everything I have that you cannot find a single college game played in America this weekend where the strike zone goes from the letters to the knees and any part of the ball over any part of the plate. We're getting getting the whole ball getting across the plate. There is no way that the true edge of the ball on the edge of the plate gets called a strike anywhere in college softball anymore. What am I saying? We need to find a compromise where the hitters have to do some more adjusting. If the strike zone's a little bit higher, they don't necessarily have to like it, but they have to adjust to it. So instead of saying, well, as long as the umpire is consistent, the pitcher should adjust, say, umpire, be consistent, call a real strike zone and let the hitters adjust too. And then we'll be back to six to five with a lot of action and the game moving along versus everybody knows I like Georgia. Sarah Mosley is one of my favorite people on the planet. I love seeing Georgia be successful, but watching them score 20 runs made me want to cry. It was like, it was so hard to watch. I just couldn't do it. 
But Florida State didn't score 21, so... But that would have even been worse. <laughs> Did she walk off third base on purpose? Yeah. You got to go back in and watch everybody. Yeah, I, I, I think it was, the rain was starting to come yeah. in and they wanted to make sure they got the game in. And of course it worked out that, you know, the poor girl hit her first home run at the same time that somebody was leaving early. It looked like a baseball leadoff, you know, like yeah. a, wa- walking down the line. Yeah. yeah. And again, I understand that we're still going to, and I'm not saying that we're not going to still have some dominant pitching performances, but I think it's tied directly to if a really good pitcher has a lot to work with, she's going to look really good. If a really good pitcher has very little to work with, she's not going to look so good. And if that really good pitcher doesn't have much to work with against a really good team, it's going to get it. We end rough. up with 20 to 10 or, or 14 to 12 or, or whatever these games are. The last thing I'm going to say about this, you know, I think the pitch clock has added a little bit of the issues for the pitchers because I think Rushing some of them, them do feel it. like they're rushed a little bit. Yeah. But if we would go back to calling the original strike zone, we could get rid of the pitch clock because the game would actually move along. Every count wouldn't be, every both. bat wouldn't be seven or eight or 10 or 12 pitches. We could have them both. So do we have a problem? I think we got a big problem. I hope that other people will agree with me. I hope that the Michelle Smiths and Amanda Scarboroughs and people like that doing the broadcast will start to have... I think all know, the pitching parents will agree with you. A little bit more confidence to step up and say, hey, we, we've got to do something about this. Because again, right now, being a hitter looks like a whole lot more fun than being a pitcher. Right. And if I'm a really good athlete, I love playing softball. And right now, if I'm that kid that is kind of on the fence of, do I want to still work really hard at being a great pitcher? or I'm going to spend all my time being a great hitter. I'll I'll take hitter right now. I'm with you. Check out the blog again. It's on our fastpitchprep.com website. It's, uh, you know, the name of it is, uh, we have a problem here. And I think that, uh, you know, stealing that line from uh, Apollo 13. Yes, we have a problem here. I believe it's really true. You know, keep your comments coming. You know, the fact that, uh, you know, we've got it up on uh, Facebook now also in a lot of the different groups. And I love the comments. I love the reactions. You know, a lot of people are like, yeah, I agree. I think we really do have a problem. And of course, a lot of other people are, are of a different opinion. Well, that's okay. The reason I write that stuff is to create some discussion, the same reason that we're having that discussion here today. So, Apollo 13, that was a movie? Yeah, yeah Don, you're killing me. <laughs> going to take us to this week's Action Coach Coaching Tip of the Week. Coach John's got some interesting softball slash business information to share with you. So do you think you're working your A's off? This is for work. This is for softball. Anything in your business. If you're trying to get more done, think about how to work your A's off. So what does that mean? Create a list at the end of each day of the things you have to do tomorrow, things you want to do tomorrow. Put them in five categories. First one's category A. These are things you must do today. No more than five things must be done. B, need to do. C, you should do this eventually. D, you're going to delegate it, get someone else to do it. Or E, you're going to eliminate it. Something's showing up on your should to do eventually list, and it's there for a long time. You get to pick that. I'll say days or weeks then maybe it's time to delegate it or eliminate it because there's some reason that you're not getting to it. But you want to work every day on those five critical tasks that must be done that day. An extra step after you put the letter category to it, put a number to it. You can do it as a sequence or just priority. I like to do it for sequence for some things have to be done at 8 in the morning. Something more important might be at 11, so I might put a a 2 or 3. So you can do A1, A2, A3, A4, A5, B1, B2, B3. Really nice thing about this for me when I do this electronically is then I can look at my task list and it sorts alphabetically. 
So when you're thinking about your practice, when you're thinking about your work, whatever it is, put some priority to it and start working your A's off. I'm Coach John Davis. You want to talk about how to apply this to your business? Reach out. Be happy to help you. Now's a good time to get into action. All right, so that's going to wrap up number 308. Please make sure you support our sponsors, the Anderson Bat Company, Bidinger and Styles DDS, EAS, Elite Sporting Goods, Pinnacle Power Products, and Action Coach. If you're in a position where you can become a patron, go to patreon.com slash everythingfastpitch. Questions, comments, ideas, player of the week nominations, please reach out to us at everythingfastpitch at gmail.com or fastpitchprep at gmail.com. And make sure you go to the fastpitchprep.com website, check out the blog posts that we talked about earlier, check out the YouTube channel, and order your Square Cuts training discs. They're $49.95 a dozen. So for Coach Don McKinley and our producer, Stan Lewis, we'll talk to you again next week.